Welcome, Cat Fam and friends of Crusader Athletics. I'm Ryan Gasser. On Season 2, Episode 6 of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast, we lead off the program with our AD update with Interim Director of Athletics, Coach Dixie Jeffers. Coach will let us know what's going on with basketball, fan attendance, and how it's imperative to be wise in our decision-making this holiday season. On deck and ready with an update on Cap Softball is Head Coach Andrea Nagy. Then we welcome to the program from the Class of 2008 All-American football player James Starks. We find out real fast that James has a personality for the camera, or microphone in this case, as he unveils why he is coming back to the Buckeye State and shares a story or two from his time on those NCAA playoff teams. We'll wrap up the show by featuring the team behind our teams. We welcome to the program head coach of Cap Cheer, Lila Pettibone, and senior Gabriella Angolia to talk about what it takes to fly high with Cap Cheer. Let's get this rig rolling. It's time for the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Welcome, Cap Fam, to another edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. And as we do every time we take the field, we begin with our AD update. And so we bring in the interim director of athletics and recreation, Dixie Jeffers. Coach, uh, welcome back to the program. And uh, we are getting eerily close to basketball season. So that's what we want to lead off with. Coach, what is the plan for basketball as of right now? So I'm feeling good about where we are basketball wise um our plans are to return december 26 we'll do a couple of days of testing for our student athletes and then we should be able to hopefully if no one is positive with covid that we'll be able to begin our practices again in full not not you know being able to go phase one phase two we'll be able to go right into phase three five one five and they actually look like real practices again that sounds like a Christmas gift in and of itself. Well, I'm telling you, I'm pretty excited about being able to have the opportunity to to be able to get back on the court and so forth. And I know Coach Goodwin is and, and all the, the the female and the male players. And, and long happening. And I, I'm blessed in a lot of ways to still be able to do two different jobs. And I'm excited for our student athletes to have the opportunity to go forward. Well, now you got to switch your athletic director cap back on because now the next question is going to be, well, who's going to be watching these games, uh, assuming that we're going to go off on January 22nd? Does the NCAA, the conference, or even Capital right now have a plan on what to allow fans to do or maybe even just a vision of what we'd like to see happen and what we're advocating for? We have started to discuss that as athletic directors, and then we hit the pause button, took a week off, just trying to see where the, how high the count is and can we make this work and so forth. So the athletic directors are coming back. We're reconvening again on Wednesday of this week, and we're going to continue to have talks about uh, can there be fans. And there's a lot of, of different uh, messages here on our campuses and so forth. And some campuses want to have students. Some campuses are, are you kidding me? So that's something that we're going to have to work out um, above anything. When I started this as the, the athletic director, it's safety first, and I got to protect the student athletes. And if that means we have no fans, that's what it means to give these kids an opportunity to be able to play this year in, in some form of capacity. Um, I, I don't foresee fans, but there, there, there could be. There's a lot of logistics we have to work through so far and i'm just not willing to commit to that 
do they have a timeline on when they are going to make that decision? Or is this something that much like what 2020 has provided us, it's a play it by year kind of scenario? Um, I think we as athletic directors will make recommendations to our presidents here very soon. I think we'll actually make recommendations this week to move forward to our presidents of what we want that to look like. I do know that our, our setup at Capitol, and I do know that I'm on another committee, logistically what the gyms look like, what the protocol looks like, what time the testing takes place and so forth that, that we're working very diligently um, with. And that's coming along really nicely um, for us. Uh, we're going to, from a streaming standpoint, set up like we did for the TBT. So the benches and so forth will be opposite so we can be able to spread people out, but we'll be able to have the camera, be able to see both benches and so forth that I think families will like because we're not going to be able to have a, a normal situation. Um, for me, I would like to have parents come, but I don't know if that's feasible because we, we tell the, the parents they couldn't see their kids after the contest because we're playing back to back and just trying to limit things and, and try to contain this virus. And as we know, this virus is, is winning over a, a lot of things right now. So we just have to play it ear, you know, day by day. We're talking with interim director of athletics and recreation, Dixie Jeffers. And so, Coach, you said that basketball is looking like, or at least with your program, like they might return on December 26th. Is that going to be across the board? Or what does reentry look like for either winter sports or our students, student athletes in general? For basketball, and uh, it definitely looks like across the board, December 26th, I Got some emails today, and I was writing back December 26th, and I, I know that the presidents want us all to look alike. Um, Budgetarily-wise, I cannot speak for other universities, but we are set to go to December 26th. We ordered tests today. Um, and I know that several other un universities throughout the conference have ordered tests and so forth, trying to prepare to bring our student-athletes back in the winter. Very good. We look forward to another update in which hopefully next time we're, we're speaking with student athletes and bouncing here and bouncing balls in the background. So wouldn't that be great? Oh, it would be <laughs> phenomenal. And speaking of, uh, you know, let's transition to another form of, uh, of ball there. And we're talking football now. Um, last time we talked, we were talking about the fact that we were in the midst of finding a new head football coach. Um, I would like to have you give us an update on where we stand. Well, we stand in a very good place right now. Um, our announcement is going to come on Wednesday of who we have hired. Um, there's a lot of chatter out there right now. Um, the OAC seems to know more than what we do. And a lot of people are talking and that's great because that gives us a buzz and I'm excited about our hire. I'm excited about what direction we're moving forward. I think our student athletes, once they settle in and, and meet our new coach and, and understand that the direction that we want to take and the commitment that we are making as a university are going to be very, very excited. I know that our alumni are that have uh, had an opportunity to be involved and to see the candidates and so forth, totally believe in the person that we have hired. And I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this.
And if you're listening to this podcast after Wednesday, be sure to go back to the website, athletics.capital.edu, to check out the coverage, read the story, watch the press conference that will be forthcoming. So be sure to tune in to all of that. So we look forward to who the new head coach of Capital Football will be when that time comes. Coach, uh, it is, you know, the holiday season, and we are going to take a pause uh, through the month of December with the podcast. And so this might be the last time that we actually get to chat before the new year with holiday plans on our minds. What do we need to consider in order to keep ourselves, our families safe, uh, and hopefully have a very successful return on December 26th or in January for other sports in relation to slowing the spread and making sure that we come back fully healthy? I can tell you, first and foremost, the message that I would want to give to our student-athletes and their families is that, are we making concessions? Absolutely. Are, are they difficult? Absolutely. But I told my neighbors, we are very, very blessed. I've told family members, we're very, very blessed every time that we can see a family member and have them into our midst. And that we need to understand that that's a very much of a blessing and something that we need to embrace right now because some of us have families that are insisted living and so forth that we can't get to. And that's awful. And it's not a fun place to be. I'm asking our student athletes and the families to quarantine down until we can return our student athletes in a safe manner and to allow the testing to take place and First and foremost, it's about the safety of our student athletes and particularly our families, because some of our families have grandparents that live with them and so forth. But this is about safety. and It always has been about safety for us as a university and for me in particular. And I know President Kaufman and I have talked numerous times about the safety of our student athletes. And it continues to be first and foremost, do I want to play? I have a vested interest in this. And we most certainly want to play. And I am anxious to play come January 22nd. And so is Damon and so forth. And all of our coaches want to go off. But we need to do it in a safely manner. And I'm excited about it. We're going to ask our kids in the coming weeks. That's something I'm going to probably release next week to our student athletes about the quarantine process. And the medical staff and I have been together already working through different logistics and so forth. And so when people are at home or people are ending the break, understand that we're not. We're still working here for the safety and, and safe return of our students and safe return of our student athletes. And I think we can do this and we're really going to give it a really good effort. Well, we hope so. And so that kind of begs the question, uh, what are your holiday plans? Having said all of that, how, how are you going to keep safe and still maintain the holiday spirit with family? Well, I'm actually going to go do a test tomorrow just to make sure as we move forward to uh, December 25th um, with family members around. I've had immediate family members that have been had COVID and have been exposed. And and so um, I feel good that, that I'm not, but I want to make sure. And we've talked about being quarantined and so forth. It's really difficult when we work in the public system that we do and and. Uh, it's just to enjoy the family and enjoy the family members and be blessed that uh, we haven't touched too much upon um, death and so forth and, and just try to, to overcome the virus as we move forward and, and live with it and figure out how to exist. 
Well, we hope that you and your family have a very happy holiday season. Thank you once again for the update. And uh, we'll be hopefully talking with you prior to the new year. But if not, you're first on our list as far as 2021 is concerned. Ryan, I so appreciate the work that you have done. And I know that our student athletes, parents really have appreciated the podcast. And and uh, we talk in honesty and uh, transparency. And I think that's all people can ask for. And I wish everybody a blessed holiday. Well, I join you in wishing them a blessed holiday season as well. Thank you again, Coach Jeffers, for joining us on this AD update. And so we'll keep on moving along here as we dig deeper into the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. It's time for another edition of a coach and program check-in on this edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. And we are sticking to the diamond, but we're going on the other side of Clawson Field and going to the softball diamond this time. And we're going to be joined by head coach of Capital Softball, Miss Andrea Nagy. Coach, it's been a minute since that we've talked. So what is new in your neck of the woods? It has. It's been a while, I feel like, especially with COVID and people being in the office less. I feel like I don't see people as much. But um, I would say this week we have finals. Um, so at the beginning of this week, I wished all the girls good luck on their finals. Um, and then we'll have like end of the semester meetings. Um, and we just implemented... Um, like a big and little sister type thing. Um, kind of like, I, I feel like I've heard a lot of sororities do this, but so I've paired each senior with a sophomore and each junior with a freshman. So every now and then I'll be like, hey, bigs, like reach out to your littles and make sure they're doing well with their finals or doing okay studying or just other things. So I think they've enjoyed that kind of thing that they are getting a little more accountability for each other. Um, and it's a way to make sure that they're communicating still, even with all this COVID happening. Which is an interesting concept that, you know, I come from the Greek world as well. And yes, that is a thing, uh, <laughs> but you don't see that penetrate into the athletics all that much. What brought on that idea and what's the goal of the system? Well, um, I was never in Greek life. Like in my opinion, my softball team was my sorority sisters, uh, just because that's the way it was softball life. Um, but coach Payne, our previous head coach, she had done something similar, um, and I didn't start out doing it when I became a head coach, but from the feedback that I had gotten from the girls, especially now with COVID, like we normally do a lot of in-person things and now everything is, you know, trying to get to virtual. Um, I think they were missing like that personal connection with um, their teammates and especially our freshman class or our newcomers. We had a couple of transfer sophomores. I think they, um, just needed more connection. So I just wanted this to be um, a way that they could connect more on a personal level and not, I'm talking to the entire team. They're actually getting to know each other a little more. Um, and yeah, so I had, I had talked to the upperclassmen and they were like, Hey, like we used to do this. Could we do something like this again? Because even though we were doing practices, we don't, we don't really know each other still. And so I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So I paired them up who I thought would be good matches. Um, and I said, okay, these are um, juniors. You're with these freshmen and these will be your little sisters until you graduate. And once um, those freshmen and sophomores become juniors and seniors, I'll pair them with the underclassmen um, coming in. And then they'll transition from being a little sister to a big sister. And then hopefully they'll have 
a longer connection other than just when they're here at Capitol. Sounds like a fantastic system that you're putting into place and, you know, having that social element as well as the physical skills to go out and be a successful softball player, equally important. Talking more about what you were able to do in the off season. Can you kind of go through, you know, what your off season workouts and training regimen was like uh, before, you know, the break and before we had to shut it all down? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a scramble Um, every day and every week was a little different. So um, I would try my best to plan ahead. um, But just, as everybody knows, like COVID numbers go up and down. We're in Franklin County. So um, it's kind of like if the county shuts down, regardless of however many cases we may or may not have on campus, we kind of have to follow that. So um, I tried my best to send out like a weekly schedule um, as far as in, in, in advance that I could. Um, however, that was not always the case. Sometimes I'd be texting them the day before being like, hey, here's tomorrow's schedule. Um and then uh, we mostly did, we did a lot of lifting, a lot of conditioning, um, and then there was a lot of practicing. However, we didn't ever get into, um, like, live scrimmage. We tried our best with live scrimmages. Like, we our stipulations were we had to stay six feet apart, so um, theoretically, like, the catcher and the batter are within six feet, so... Um, Sometimes we would do T-ball. Sometimes we would have a pitcher throw to a net versus um, a catcher, and then we'd have hitters go like that. So we tried our best to make things work. Um, We didn't get a chance to do a lot of team, um, like, scrimmage-like practices. But, again, like, when we did, we tried our best to make it worth it. Talk about maybe a little bit more player-centric stuff. Uh, Who was someone that, as you got to watch them, play or train that you started getting real excited for? Yeah, um, I think a a lot of the girls, um, I would say I could definitely tell that um, Alex Wolf, she is a senior this year. I could tell she was busting her butt over, um, you know, summer and working out a lot. I felt like she came in with really good condition. um, And we did a couple times we would do, you know, home to first timing. And I felt like her times were really impressive. So I could tell she did a lot of work in the off season. Um, Same with Lauren Kacher. She, um, she actually missed a lot of practices because she had a heavy class schedule. Um, However, every time she was at practice, she was killing it. Like I could tell even when she was missing practices, like she's still putting in the work, she's still lifting, still running. So um, I was really impressed with um, just her lifting and, um, I guess, conditioning shape. Um, And again, we didn't really get to do a lot of uh, softball scrimmage stuff. So the things that's easy for me to tell is more like physical condition shape, uh, like running um, or just like lifting. Like that's the stuff that I kind of went by. Um, And then Alex Slusher, I know she, she was definitely putting in a lot of work. um, And then we did have a little mishap with one of her, um knees during a lifting session so i i know she's still working hard but she's still recovering from that so hopefully that's not discouraging her at all to like work hard over break and she's still healing but we have high hopes that come season time she'll be great now i'm hearing a lot of talk about our veterans and that is that is fantastic uh but of those first years and or transfers that are coming in 
who has really stuck out the most or maybe has made the biggest splash early on? Yeah, I would say um, Caitlin Wilhelm. She is a sophomore transfer. She came from Walsh. She is a right-handed pitcher. Um, she she probably maybe thinks about this, too. I hope she does because, to me, in my head, I was – I don't know. It was It's just, like, funny looking back. But um, one of the first days – that I worked with her as a pitcher. Um, we couldn't find like a catcher that had the same, or, or we were in pods. That's what it was. Um, we were in pods and nobody in her pod could catch her at that time. And like, she had a tight schedule. Somebody else had a tight schedule. So I was like, you know what, Caitlin, I'll just catch for you. Like I've caught before I've caught, you know, during my college years, like I caught as like an assistant coach at case, just like when we needed a catcher, I never played it in an actual game. Like I was a middle infield outfielder, but I'm like, I'm athletic. Like I'm still decently young. So like, I'll catch you. And she, her, the first time she threw the ball at me, I was like, Whoa, like and it was coming really hard at my face. And I was like, you know what? I have just like the catcher's helmet. I'm going to go and get the full catcher's outfit. So I went and got like shin guards and the chest protector. Like at first I, I just used the helmet and I was like, Oh, I'll be good with just like a helmet. I was like, Nope, I'm going to go get the whole thing. And she was probably like, I don't know. I'm sure she was probably like, coach, are you sure? Like you want me to throw to you in that first pitch? I was like, yep, I'm going to go get the gear. <laughs> that That's probably one of the more promising and entertaining stories that we've heard come out of the fall season thus okay, far. Good. So. <laughs> she thought I was crazy at first when she was like, are you sure you want to catch me? Because she can bring the ball. It's pretty quick. Excellent. Now, I, she obviously is one that we're looking forward to. Um, you know, winter season is going to be pretty critical in the transition to get to spring ball. You know, what are you telling the team while we have the holiday season and, and while we're all supposedly in air quotes off, mm-hmm. what should they be doing to keep, you know, from the rest from accumulating? Yeah. Um, obviously everybody's situation is a little different. Um, some girls have access to weights. Some don't, some have access to like hitting facilities or even just, I know some people have in their basement or their backyard, like a tee or a parent who can throw. Um, but not everybody does. So I guess at the bare minimum, um, this year we have implemented a an app called Volt. Um, and although I am um, a level one USA weightlifting certified coach, um, I think this app has really helped us with like lifting and conditioning um, just because everybody can stay on the same page. So you, I signed everybody up on our team for this app, you log in and then it, it'll tell you what to do for lifting that day. And then if you don't have, let's say if you're at home, you can change it to all body weight stuff. Um, or if you have dumbbells, you can change barbell exercises to dumbbell exercises. So it kind of gives you like, um, a little path to follow in case like, you're kind of like, well, gosh, I'm at home. There's nothing to do. I'm supposed to be socially distancing. So I I think it gives people an option to still work out and condition, even if you have a small space or you have no equipment. Um, It also has different conditioning um, workouts, different agility stuff. And so again, like the agility stuff, like all you really need is like maybe a couple pretend cones, whether it be like a couple water bottles or plastic cups you can put in on the ground. And if you have about like a 10 by 10 space, you can do like these like quick footwork drills. Um, so I'm going to send out a schedule, like a 10 or 
a schedule to the girls that if they, you know, want to follow the schedule, they can over break. If not, obviously that's fine. They can do their own things. Um, but for those who like kind of like the schedule, I'm going to kind of send out a schedule with what I think that the bare minimum should be, even with this COVID stuff. Um, and obviously over the summer, I think it was more, um, I don't, I guess I don't know. It, it was more relaxed in the sense of like, we don't know when we're coming back to school. And now that COVID has been lasting for, gosh, I feel like such a long time and we're not really sure when we're going to get out of it. I, I kind of want to be in the mindset that like, we're not going to use it as an excuse to not work out. So obviously health comes first. So if you have COVID or if you recently have COVID or you've been around people, obviously you need to recover and that's your priority. But if you're overall healthy and you have no issues, um, you have no cold or anything, I would hope that like you are at least doing body weight workouts at home as much as you can. And it'll probably be very clear who wasn't doing anything when we do right, right, to, right. Uh, to classes. Which in speaking of, let's assume that all things trend positively and we're back here on campus sometime in January. When you get back and the team gets back, what are going to be the first pieces or first priorities to address in order to adequately prepare for the upcoming season? Um, the first couple of weeks I plan on um... – just strength and conditioning, um, voluntary strength and conditioning the first couple weeks, just kind of like what you're saying. Like, I mean, I'm hoping that everybody does a good job working out and staying up to date with um, their conditioning and stuff. Um, but I really feel like the first step would be to evaluate and see where everybody is strength and conditioning wise. You know, I don't want to like go 100% in. I, I've made that mistake many times before that just like, you know, I'm so excited. Like we're back let's get going. And sometimes if you go too quickly, um, even for the girls that are conditioned, um, they just push so hard that sometimes their mentality is stronger than what their body wants to allow. And you don't want to end up with, you know, maybe a season ending injury the first week, right when you get back, just because we're too excited and we can't ramp up accordingly. So that'll be like the first couple weeks. It's like making sure we're ramping up slowly, seeing where everybody is, uh, strength and conditioning wise. And then um, even softball wise, you know, not throwing once we get to actual practices, not throwing a zillion balls in one day or, you know, throwing one day, maybe off the next two days, um, not off practice, but off with your arm, like, you know, throwing one day and then maybe hitting the next day. Um, so that way we're not just going 100% um, and not taking care of our bodies first. Now, I know that this answer is likely going to change because there is just so much time in between now and then. But knowing that Otterbein is the first game on the schedule, scheduled for March 20th, is there any, you know, is the target for that start date any bigger, knowing that that's who is waiting on the <laughs> other end of all of this? It is. Um, it is. I think... Where we're at, um, just because of last season and even this fall, like every fall we look forward to playing um, a fall scrimmage, even if it's just a non-traditional game against an another team. And this year we weren't able to play. Um, usually we play Denison University in the fall and we weren't able to play them. So I just think, although it is a big deal because Otterbein's our rival, they're right across from Columbus. They're the closest school. Like, 
Um, and obviously we always want to beat them. I think there's just going to be so much um, gratitude that we're actually playing a game that that's going to probably overshadow, uh, overshadow the rivalry. Like, obviously we want to win, but win or lose, I think our girls are just going to be so excited just to play. So I don't know. I, I, I get in different modes, I guess. Some days it's more like, I just want to play. I don't care who, I don't care when I just want to play other days. I'm like, Oh, Otterbein's our first game. So it goes back and forth. Well, we'll definitely check back in as we get closer to that time. March 20th, that is opening day for Capital Softball as it stands today against Otterbein. And so, head coach Andrea Nagy, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Coach and Program Update. And we'll be in touch as we get closer to opening day. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Stick with us here, Cap Fam, as we move forward in this edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. We've reached the halfway point in this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. Now's your chance to hit pause and head to the locker room if you need a huff. Just don't sub us out. If you're going to do any kind of subbing, make sure that you subscribe to the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast on whichever app you're listening to and turn on your notifications so you never miss an episode. Leave us a comment and a rating while you're at it. Please and thank you. It's now time for the second half of action of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. All right, Cat Fam, it's time to get <laughs> feature piece for today's episode of Forward Capital Crusaders. When we are out there on the field of competition, you're likely looking at our student athletes, but there is a team behind the teams that is also likely the loudest that is very essential to our operation. And so without further ado, we welcome members of the Capital Cheerleading team. We welcome Lila Pettibone, the head coach of Cap Cheer, as well as a senior from Russell, Ohio, Miss Gabriella Angolia. Thanks for joining us, both of you. And for all of our viewers and our listeners, um, I am knowledgeable on a lot of things athletic related. Cheerleading is just not one of them. So I'm going to be relying on both of you to guide this conversation today. So Lila, I know you're, you're the third year head coach here for Cap Cheer. I just wanted to know, you know a little bit why join Cap Cheer at the very beginning of your journey as an alumni and why stay with it beyond your years here at Capitol? Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. So yeah, I, um, I'm i from a really small town. It's only 40 minutes from Capitol, um, Asheville, Ohio, and I went to Taze Valley High School. So um, apart from cheering for Taze Valley, I was a competitive dancer, which is the majority of my, which was the majority of my focus growing up, but had a, I came from a very skillful cheer team. Um, we won uh, two state championships when I was in school, runner up the other years. So obviously, even though I was focused a lot on dance, cheerleading, I loved it. I barely had time for it, but I did it anyways. Um, and when I came to, when I decided to come to Capitol, which the reason I chose Capitol is because it was close to home, um, wanted to be close to my family. I really didn't, I actually missed the very first tryout for, I didn't even know that like they had cheerleading at Capitol. And um, I was fortunate enough to meet my freshman year roommate. She was from not the same high school as me, but a county school. And she was just like, you need to try out for cheer. 
And I literally just came to one of the practices they had. The coach looked at my skill level and it's like, do you want to join? And I was like, sure, I guess. Like, I'll keep cheering. That sounds cool. I wasn't dancing anymore. Um, and obviously I fell in love with it. So um, I still have, I'm very, very, very close friends with everyone I used to cheer with in college. Um, my other coach, Kelly, she's my roommate still. I lived with another member of the team right out of college. So it's just been great. I loved the community, all the people I got to meet, cheer with, cheering for capital basketball. I loved cheering for women's basketball. Was That was the first time I've ever cheered for women's. We didn't do that in high school. So I thought that was really cool. And then, yeah, I just loved it. And I, when I got offered to continue coaching, I was fortunate enough to coach some of the girls I actually cheered with since I did it right out of school. And yeah, it's been great. I have a really, really, really dedicated team. And I think that's what I like most about it and why I keep coming back. And Gabriella, I want to pose a similar question to you. You know, why did you choose Capital and why did you choose to continue your cheer career here with the purple and the white? So I chose Capital because my major is art therapy and Capital's got a great art therapy program. So I found Capital just um, my senior year searching online for art therapy schools. And I knew I wanted to cheer in college. My two things were gotta be art therapy school, gotta cheer. Um, and so I just started searching about the cheer team and what it's about. I reached out to the coach and then I came here for a visit and ended up uh, meeting Lila that day, actually. Oh, yeah. It was her senior day. And <laughs> I walked up to her and I was like, hey, I see that you're a cheerleader. I wanted to come meet the team. So she brought me to, there was a game that day. So she brought me down and I met the team. And I think just meeting everybody and seeing how welcoming they were already, and I wasn't even on the team. That's kind of what, like, I was like, okay, Capital's the school for me. Um, and then um, I went and tried out, made the team, and it's just been the best ever since. Like, I couldn't have asked for a better um, cheer program for college. It's just, it's great. We're like a family. Well, we're glad to have the both of you in Cap Cheer as a coach, as a participant. It's been, we enjoy having you at all the games as well. So. <laughs> I know that you guys like to be at as many games as possible. Football and basketball are the team's fortes. You got to educate me a little bit. What's the difference in the prep uh, between football season and basketball season? Yeah, so believe it or not, they're actually very different. We treat both games extremely different. Um, I'd say football. Football is a lot of fun because I get my whole team there. As opposed to basketball, I'm only allowed 10 girls on the court, so I actually have to split my team in half. So with football, everything is very planned out. It's like a show. We run through game day at practice. We send the girls. We connect with the team through the group me app. We literally send them a layout of what football game day is going to look like. So um, we always do something at 12 minutes, eight minutes, four minutes. And then we do, we do cheers in between the half. And when I say do stuff, that's our time to throw up pyramids, um, to do tumbling, show off our tumbling skills stuff like that. Um, and what's also cool about football is we're allowed to do things on the turf that we're not allowed to do out on the court. So we're allowed to do three level pyramids and do connection pyramids on the turf as to where it's a rule we're not allowed to on the court just from like a safety protocol because I don't think a lot of people realize how dangerous cheerleading actually is. Um, so that's really cool. And we're also allowed to throw basket tosses. 
So I would say we're allowed to do a lot more at football. So the game game day has to be very, very, very laid out, very particular. Um, the girls stick to a schedule. They have to remember the schedule. It's on them if they forget. So they have to stick to that schedule, do everything that we planned at practice, sent to them for game day, um, and just make sure they execute that during football games. Basketball, it's kind of a guessing game. Basketball, the girls, like I said, I only have 10 of them at a time. We're not allowed to do the pyramids we can normally do. Um, tumbling's a little limited to a certain skill level. And to be honest, they literally just have to watch the game. They have to pay attention as soon as the referee calls timeout. They have to watch the ref. He's either going to do a 30 second or full. If it's a 30 second, they have to stay on the sideline, get the crowd going. If it's a full timeout, they have to rush out as fast as they can do a little performance um, for a full timeout and then come right back off before the refs kick us off the court. So they actually are very different. Um, and basketball, we have a game plan, but a lot of it's hit or miss. Sometimes we will literally run out of things to do because there's so many timeouts if it's a close game. And sometimes, you know, when capital just crushes the other team or vice versa, as much as I hate to say that, there, we're not really, we don't really get to do as much if there's not a lot of timeouts, so. Gabriella, I know that you have a personal prep um, that you get ready for games. What does that look like? And what is your position on the team? And how does that prep alter between positions on the team? So I guess my position, I'd be a top girl, right, Lila? Oh yeah, she's one of my flyers. <laughs> so, believe it or not, I'm the smallest on the team. I'm like four nine. So. Um, being a top girl means I'm at the top of the double layer stunts that we do for football season. Um, and so Lila said it best when it comes to football season, we're able to do um, pyramids on the turf. So when I have to prep for um, football games, it's not really physical stuff. It's mostly mental because it's cheesy as it sounds. I just got to keep reminding myself, like, okay, try your best. Like, you practice this. Um, just do what you can. Trust your teammates. Um, that mindset obviously moves on to basketball as well. But basketball is a lot less um, stressful because we don't have to do those double layer stunts, and I'm not at the top of everything. But um, yeah, so the main thing is just to stay as confident as possible. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that there is a mental component to this, and I got to imagine that as the flyer, um, you have to not only have incredible amounts of trust in the rest of your team, but you also have to mentally prepare to be airborne. Um, that's not something that I would be very good at, but how do you get mentally prepared for those moments? Well, I don't think I've ever not trusted somebody on the team beneath me because that's how close we are. And we do so much practice together that I've always had an immense amount of trust um, with anybody who goes underneath me. So I think as long as I feel that trust going into the air, I feel a lot better coming down. Because <laughs> um, no matter what, the people beneath me are going to catch me if I, if I start to fall, because that's a base in a base in a back spots job. But um, it can be a little nerve wracking, especially trying a new skill for the first time. Um, trying to control your body in the air can be pretty difficult, but I gotta keep telling myself that um, 
it's okay if you mess up the first time, especially on a new skill, because then the more that we try it, the more we get it down. We're talking Capital Cheer with head coach Lila Pettibone and senior Gabriella Angolia. And Lila, for those that are unf unfamiliar with cheer, what skills or personal attributes are you seeking when you're building your team? Right. So when I'm building my team, I'd say the main thing I'm looking for, um, first of all, like Gab mentioned, is girls that are confident and have like the mental side of cheer down because it's very hard to throw up stunts and do tumbling if you're not confident. So that's actually a big tool in cheerleading. But apart from that, um, flexibility is a big one. We've really been working hard on that this year, especially with COVID, just overall flexibility, strength. Um, each team member kind of plays a different role from a stunning standpoint. So I need my flyers to be fully aware of their body and body positions. I need my bases to be strong. If you don't know what a base is, those are the two on the side that lift my flyers up and then my back spot. They actually have to have a lot of shoulder strength. Um, and yeah, so like overall just strength and then tumbling, we do require each member to have a back handspring. Um, so tumbling skills, that's just gonna stem from whatever they were doing in high school. A lot of my girls uh, were gymnasts, um, a lot of them cheered in high school and we get all different people. We do require that back handspring. So that's a big one with joining cap cheerleading. If you don't have a back handspring, we don't put you on the team because that's just something we strive is to be one of the best in division three. So flexibility, strength, confidence, um, yeah, all that. So that's really what I look for the most. And just, we've built such a great community so far with the current team that I have. Like, I just need positive people that are ready to put in work whenever I run my tryouts, so. Now, Gabriella, I know that this is a really short but loaded question. What is the most difficult part of being a member of Capital Cheer? In all honesty, I don't really find anything difficult about cap. It's, it's a very stress-free environment. Um, I guess um, what I was saying before is trying a new skill can be pretty nerve wracking. Sometimes um, if I keep falling on a skill at practice, I'll get um, not upset, but just a little bit discouraged and kind of get in my head about it. Um, I think that that would be the only thing that would be um, a negative is just um, falling and trying to get back up. <laughs> we are, it's cap cheer is just a very stress-free environment. If you fall on something, it's okay. You're not going to get yelled at if you, if you're not um, confident enough to throw a tumbling skill, that's okay. Um, try it again next time. Um, that stems from Lila and Kelly being great coaches as well. But, <laughs> it's just, we, work together really well as a team. So we're, it's fairly stress-free, but yeah, I, I would say that um, trying new skills and failing could be a little difficult sometimes. <laughs> now, Lila, kind of a similar question to you, going from, you know, a member of the cheer team to its coach, what have you found to be maybe most difficult in transitioning into that coaching realm or, you know, just part of coaching in general? Um, I'd say a part of, you know, just coaching cheer in general, because um, a lot of people that, you know, don't watch cheer or like know much about it, it's actually an extremely dangerous sport. Like I get injuries every year. And I think that's really difficult for me as a coach, because obviously I want to avoid injury. 
you know, as much as possible, but they just happen. I mean, it's so much, there's so much contact involved. My flyers, um, you know, if they fall to the ground, they reach their hand out and like something doesn't hit right, like they can break bones. So it's really hard for me as a coach to see one of my girls get hurt. Um, girls fall a lot during tumbling when they're trying new skills. Um, we've had quite a few concussions. That's a big injury with cheer. So I'm saying, so I would say that's probably the hardest part for me is just dealing with all of the injuries because I hate when it happens. Because not only, um, not only am I upset that one of my, you know, team members is hurt, but it also affects the whole entire team. Because if Gab's up in the air and, you know, she hits her base in the face and she's out with a concussion, Gab can't go in the air for the game. So it puts a lot of stress on the team when we have people out and down because we kind of just have to redo everything. So I definitely say that's the most difficult part. I remember my athletic trainer in high school, when someone asked her what, where she gets the most injuries, she said football and competition cheerleading So <laughs> as a part to all the other sports. So a lot of injuries, but you know, that's the risk, and, you know, all my teammates are willing to take being cheerleaders. So they know that walking in, but it does suck when it happens. Lila, we've actually been really spoiled over the last years, at least since I've been here over the last seven years, with some (laughs) high-flying cheer team members. I mean, Stephen and Rondale come to mind right off the get-go, but how do they do it? Like, what training is typical uh, of a background of the person that that has that skill set and does that kind of showmanship? So I will tell you right now, skill or tumbling does take a lot of skills and those are, you know, developed in your early years. Um, you know, lots of gymnastics. Um, some people are just like naturally good at tumbling. It's a lot of body position, body placement. Obviously you have to be strong, but a lot of tumbling is mental. Just like we were talking about with stunning. Um, you know, a lot of people can easily, like someone that's never tumbled before, I could say throw a back tuck right now. And if they are mentally if they tell themselves they can do it they probably can but it's scary you're flying backwards like I said it does it does take training a lot of that's just having a gymnastics background um you know having a good coach growing up just to show you the right body placements the right technique on how to do it but a lot of people that don't advance in their tumbling it's not that they can't do it physically it's the mental side telling them they're going to fall on their head and they can't do it so but yeah Ron (laughs) Ron and Steven, they were definitely not afraid to throw anything. So <laughs> two great people <laughs> to bring up. <laughs> they, they sometimes got the crowd up on their feet for what they did just as much as basketball would. So yeah. <laughs> their performances a lot. Yeah. They were yeah. crowd pleasers for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So Gabriella, you know, when it's your time to shine or you know that you need more crowd involvement, no matter what sport you're there for how do you get that roar from the crowd? What goes through your head that, you know, I need to do something in order to get everybody a little bit more involved here? Well, it's pretty easy to tell when the crowd is um, getting a little bit quieter. Sometimes it happens just as the game goes on. Sometimes if the game's not eventful, that'll happen. So we have cheers that are quick and easy, um, like easy enough to lead the crowd with and the crowd can cheer along with us. So typically we'll do a cheer like that and that will actually get the crowd on their feet sometimes. It typically gets the crowd and more involved. Um, At that point, we'll throw up a stunt and just try to get the crowd as involved as possible. 
All right, we're talking cap cheer with head coach Lila Pettibone and senior Gabriella Angolia. Lila, COVID has presented a lot of challenges for everybody in the athletic department and all across campus. I'm sure this team is no different in trying to handle those challenges. How has it changed your training regimen? I mean, I believe, you know, this is a very close proximity, close contact kind of sport. It has to impact you in some way. So how have you handled that? Um, it definitely has. Um, the practices we've had so far, um, I know my upperclassmen especially are super antsy. We have not been able to stunt. Um, so, you know, that's going to present a challenge later on in the season because something we usually prep and work on all year, um, we're going to have a limited time to do that because um, stunting can be scary. I do bring in freshmen that I've never stunted before. So that's definitely been challenging just because that's one of like our funner times that we have during practice is just being able to stunt, throw our flyers up. Um, and then other than that, from a tumbling standpoint, I can't have anyone spot. So a lot of my girls, unless, like I talked about the mental thing, unless they're willing to try that on their own without a spot, it's been hard to advance my tumbling. Um, so we've been doing a lot of stretching and I actually had, I actually added eight new freshmen this year. So we've just been doing sideline cheers, running all those and doing a lot of conditioning. Um, now learning those cheers has actually what I've found been really difficult as well because the girls have been having to practice with mask on. So, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, I like my team to be loud. You know, I like them to be proud. I like everyone to involve and say the words when they're learning. And when they're quiet, I can't like point people out because I can't tell with the mask on who's not saying their cheer. So I get, it's, it's been challenging for sure, but I'm just happy we've been able to practice. Um, I've been stretching them a lot. As I mentioned, you know, flexibility is one of like the main things I look for. Um, as well as strength. So we've been doing a lot of stretching, a lot of conditioning with mask on. So sorry, team. <laughs> it's well, hard to breathe. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention, you know, you and I had talked and you had to resort to having a virtual tryout, which I know is not the norm. Talk about how you, you know, came with that idea, constructed it and how, you know, efficient it was to have it that way considering the circumstances um so it was actually it went way better than I thought it would so when basically I schedule and plan tryouts as early in advance as I can um you know for the incoming freshmen I want to make sure they can all make it because it's like usually around prom season so when COVID broke out in March I had actually already had <clears throat> tryouts planned for April and what was crazy is this year, I have had the most incoming freshmen reach out to me about wanting to join Capital Cheerleading than I think we've had in like years. So it was super exciting for me. I was really excited to, you know, host those in-person trials at the Cap Center. I think I had them planned for March, I think, right, Gab? I don't know. But I think we had them planned for March. Um, and then with COVID, I obviously had to cancel those. And I'm just like, you know, the months are ticking, months are ticking. I'm like, I got to do something. So I reached out to my high school coach and she walked me through how they did virtual tryouts with, which essentially I basically just sent the girls um, their score cards, like how we were going to be scoring. Um, and obviously I just had them write down what they do from a stunning standpoint, but they all just sent me videos. Um, and what I did was I just airplayed those. I had the other coach Kelly here, I actually brought Steven back for people that are a big fan of Steven. He was at my apartment. We had a little quarantine watch party. 
uh, Kelly, and then Allison Greenwood. She's um, another one, another one that I brought back to help coach. And basically, what we did, we just gave all the girls a score, and then we accumulated all of our scores together. Um, we had a lot of people not make it, surprisingly, and then. I actually brought on, like I said, eight new freshmen, which is the most we've had, I think, in years. And that's just not even having the in-person trial. So it was a good thing. Um, it was a lot of fun, too. We just we were able to go back and rewatch videos of people we were unsure about. We had a few funny, I won't be mean, but we had a few funny submissions. Um, so it was, it was a good day. I think Steven, Allison, and Kelly and I, we were here for 10 hours watching people try out for cheerleading so <laughs> well, you definitely put your time in to try to make the best team possible that's absolutely good. absolutely definitely right. different I will do it again if I have to but <laughs> <laughs> if you have to not because if you I have to, to. <laughs> <laughs> well Gabriella you probably have had more opportunity to get to know your team just based on you know practices and maybe having some courses with them so how do you feel about this year's squad what makes it unique or special with them uh we're already pretty close as a team as well we have a big group snapchat that we'll <laughs> communicate in um but there's a lot of talent on the squad this year um like lila said we had eight new uh freshmen come on the team along with um just returning members there's a lot of talent, a lot of potential. Um, fortunately, because of COVID, we weren't able to stunt. So um, I'm not sure how where we stand stunting-wise, but I do know that tumbling and jumps and uh, cheer-wise, we're doing pretty well. So um, I think that we just we have a, a good amount of talent on the squad this year, and we're already pretty close, even though we've had only a couple practices and haven't been able to be with each other as much as we want to. Um, yeah, each year we're like a family, no matter what, even when there's um, new people joining, they're, they're in the family. Once you're on Capture, <laughs> you're in the family. Good stuff. Now, this next question is for the both of you. You know, we're 50 days and counting away from our first planned activity uh, athletically with basketball coming around the corner in late January. So that being said, how excited and eager are you uh, to get you and the rest of the team out there and start getting back at it again? Um, I'm extremely eager. Um, I'm very curious to know if they're going to let us on the court to cheer. I hope that they are. Um, but yeah, like Gab just said, I have a tremendous amount of talent on the team this year and I just like to go show it off. I actually like it when other schools bring their cheer teams there because I think it's eye-opening to our fans of how good of a team Capital actually has because a lot of people don't take Division Three cheer seriously, but Capital University does. They've been taking it seriously since I was a freshman. Um, so yeah, I'm just super, I love to show off how talented my girls are. Um, so I'm just really eager to do that. And I hope we get the opportunity to do that this year. How excited and eager are you to get back out there? Well, it's my senior year and I was hoping that my last time cheering ever was going <laughs> to be normal, but <laughs> um, obviously with COVID that hasn't happened. So I am super excited to get back at it. Like Lila said, I really hope that we're able to be on the court and on the field. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. It's, it's, it was a really weird fall, not having game days on Saturdays and, um, not prepping the way that we typically do for game days. So I'm just really excited to 
hopefully get back into normal practices. I'm really excited to stunt. I've been stunted since April. I'm going to be so rusty. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just, I want to get back as a team and start cheering on the Crusaders. So I am super eager to get back at it for my senior year. Now, Lila, it's going to be a pretty busy winter and spring with the changes in our schedule for our teams. Is that going to bring any kind of change in how you operate your team as far as getting them out there? I know that the safety protocols are still up in the air, but as far as just getting them out there to the games, is there any change on your end? Um, I think it's something we're kind of playing by ear right now. Um, it is going to be different. I don't know what the weather if we're able to cheer football I don't know what the weather is going to be looking like in March so like um, I'm definitely gonna, if we're able to cheer they're definitely going to be out there they might have to um, bundle up more than usual kind of like when we get to our late October games um, so that's going to present a challenge because weather actually influences my girls when they tumble and stuff like that because of like their bones being tight um, and muscles but um, yeah I'm just really hopeful we're able to cheer and um you know with basketball season I have my girls split up anyways so we're used to that that's nothing new um but if we have to split up and you know do social distancing during football I'm willing to do that so <laughs> all right well it's kind of interesting because usually the year begins with everybody you know warm weather and then progressively you bundle up it seems like it's going to be the inverse of that this year yeah it's going to be really weird like I'm thinking to myself like I don't even remember what the weather is typically like in March but like they'll bundle up and wear winter coats and still cheer I know they will <laughs> that's the beauty of Ohio in March you never know oh yeah you never know so <laughs> so Gabriella I know that you know I have a feeling when I ask this question, it's going to be very similar to the what we get when we ask this question uh, on this segment with alumni. But when you look at your years here at Capitol, what do you believe is most special about spending your years while here as a part of Cap Cheer? I think Capitol is just a special school in the sense that everybody is a close community. Um, because it's such a small school, it's really easy to get to know everyone around you. It's really easy to get to know if you're a part of a sports team, it's really um, easy to get to know everybody else in sports teams. And I think it being such a small school, it's created such a tight knit community. And I think that's also what made Cap Cheer so much better. It's because we always had um, not only students cheering with us, but members of the community. Um, I think that Cap Cheer is as successful as we are because of how close-knit capital is. This question will be for the both of you then. What is there something about Cap Cheer that we don't know about yet that you would like somebody out there to know? Um, I wouldn't, not even with just Cap Cheer, but um, you know, I don't want to like make people mad, but I just, when people think of cheerleading, I would really like them to start looking at what we do and seeing it, you know, as a sport. Cause one of the things I hate the most is when people say cheerleading is not a sport. Um, it, I don't think anyone understands, you know, the stress my team puts on their body, um, what we do on a day to day. Like we're not just a team that sits there and does chants on the sideline all day. So I'm kind of just speaking about cheer in general. Um, I think last year when that Netflix documentary came out, I forget, I think it was literally just called cheer. A lot of people when I was coaching cheer at Capitol had actually come up to me and been like, I had no idea. Like that's what cheerleading was like, 
I had no idea like you guys do all that. Like, is that what we do at Capital? And the answer is yes. So, um, sorry, I know that kind of just speaks in the term of cheerleading, but yeah, we do a lot. There's a lot of prep work that goes into it. Um, and we practice really hard. So I just like my girls to be appreciated for that, which they are at Capital, but just in general. <laughs> well, it sounds like I have something new to add to my Netflix queue so that I better understand. <laughs> yeah, Navarro, it's about Navarro. They're a small team from Texas. And I mean, it's crazy, man. It's a good documentary. <laughs> Gabriella, what do you want us to know about Capture that we haven't already discussed? Uh, kind of similar to what Lila said. I think the first thing that came to my mind when I read that question was, it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when we're on this, uh, on the basketball court, for example, um, during a full minute timeout and everyone's watching us and we get up, it, I feel like it just looks easy. Like someone could probably think like, oh, I could do that. Like I could lift a girl in the air if I'm talking <laughs> the proper way. Like maybe, but like it takes a lot more than that. And um, it's like, it's like a machine. A stunt group's like a machine. Everyone's got to work together or else it's not going to work. And um, it's, and it may look easy, especially with the tumbling and stuff like that, but it is not, we have to work really hard. Um, and like Lila said, cheer is a sport. <laughs> I know a lot of people try to fight it, but cheer is a sport. I know standing and leading a crowd may not look like a sport, but the tumbling and lifting <laughs> other humans into the air, that's a sport, I promise. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we all think we can hit a 90 mile an hour fastball and we all can't. We all <laughs> right. 75 mile an hour or 75 yard touchdown pass, we can't. So <laughs> I, not, I believe you when it <laughs> say that it is not meant for everybody and that it takes hard work. So leading to the point of the hard work that's required the constant recruiting that you, Lila, are doing. Is there anything that you would like to say to anybody out there that is interested in joining Capture, whether it be this year, next year, or beyond, um, or even for alumni that wish to reconnect? What is your message to those out there looking to be a part of Capture in whatever way possible? Um, so for anyone wanting to join Capture, um, if things go back to normal, if we get through this craziness, you know, that is COVID-19. We'll, we will absolutely be having tryouts um, for next year, usually in April. Um, and I'd already kind of mentioned what we require for that. Back handspring is really the only thing that's required. Um, but yeah, we we love we let anyone try out, anyone that's considering Capital. It's a great school. So if you have any interest in coming to Capital and you have interest in cheering, um, you know, if we can get to some games, I invite anyone that's looking to cheer next year, please come to our games. Please watch our team because that's, you know, how we get a lot of the people when they see how good, you know, this little division three team is. So for anyone that's thinking about cheering and you want to come to Capitol, please get to one of the games this year. Watch us because I think you'll fall in love. And then as far as alumni, I was actually super bummed. Um, we didn't have like a normal homecoming game like we did this year, because that's usually, you know, anyone that's graduated as a CAP cheerleader, that's always, you know, the one night of the year we connect. Um, I'm going to continue um, the alumni to reach out to me. I don't know if they'll be having a homecoming maybe in March or like what the world's going to be looking like. But, um, and this is for you, Gab, when you graduate, just stay close with the people you cheered with, because I'm still close with you know, you already heard me say three people that I cheered with were at my house for your guys' online tryout. So stay close with your alumni. 
Um, obviously anyone in alumni, you can reach out to me whenever, come to any of the games if we're able to cheer this year. And I always make um, announcements if we are able to do some type of homecoming game because we get all of the alumni cheerleaders. It's usually back on the turf, not the basketball, but we get them all out there. We cheer for a quarter with the team. So I always like everyone that we can get to come back to that. So. And Gabriella, I hear that you are responsible for the Capital Cheer social media. So why don't you share with us how to connect with you guys on social media? So both Twitter and Instagram are at Capital U Cheer. Um, and I think that's all we have. That's all we got. <laughs> um, we used to have a Facebook page, but I think that's a little bit dead. So just yeah. Instagram and Twitter are where we um, are most active. Fantastic. Well, if anybody's out there looking to connect, that's one way. If not, contact Coach Pettibone and she'll get you in uh, the proper place for whatever you're looking for. Both of you, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders talking a lot of cap cheer, the team behind the team, as <laughs> we refer to you as sometimes, but also equally important as everybody that's out there. So thank you both for joining us today. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank All right, you. we've been talking with head coach Lila Pettibone and senior Gabriella Angolia from Cap Cheer. Stick around as we finish up this edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. All right, Cap fam, it's once again time for our alumni spotlight. We dig again into the alumni vault and pulled out a treasured alumni from Capital University. We've been hitting football pretty heavy. We know this, but our next guest is someone that we really believe that you are going to enjoy hearing from. And we want to welcome to the podcast, Mr. James Starks, class of 2008, a two-time all-American and one of the guiding pieces on the defenses that led the Crusaders to three consecutive NCAA playoff appearances. So James, first of all, welcome to the program. And I know it's kind of weird for you being on the other side of the camera. I know I'm going to have to step my game up just for you. So uh, thanks for joining us. And you're in the middle of a, you know, professional transition of sorts. Just kind of tell us what you've been doing for the past couple of years. So first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be uh, discussing anything with my alma mater. It's always been a dream of mine to kind of come back and at least just talk about, you know, how things were a while ago. So thank you again for having me. But right now I'm the uh, morning news anchor at WZZM in Grand Rapids. So before that, I was actually working in Houston, Texas for the NBC affiliate doing sports. So we made the transition from sports to news and Right now, as you kind of catch me here, as we spoke it off uh, off air, I'm already in another another uh, career transition as well. So I'll be switching things up and leaving Grand Rapids in a few weeks now. Well, we wish you the best of luck and congratulations on that new gig. And, and like I said, uh, we're going to have to step it up because you're a guy that has a lot of personality and uh, it comes out in those morning hours. You definitely are a lot more peppy than I am right now. I know I'm <laughs> make it, but this is, I think, your natural habitat. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too shabby. You know, I get up at 1.30 most mornings, which is a little silly, but I try to get a workout in before I go into work at 3 a.m. And uh, usually working out before working kind of knocks the cobwebs out a little bit. So this is pretty much the back end of my work day. So I'm, I'm probably petering off here as we uh, close up or close up shop on this one. Very good. Now, can you tell us very much about this new opportunity? You're coming back to the Buckeye State, uh, coming back to Toledo. What can you share about that? I can tell you pretty much everything because we've got some good timing. Uh, so the press releases just went out about 
48 hours ago. So I'll be going back to my hometown of Toledo, Ohio, and I'll be taking over as the morning news anchor at WTVG 13 Action News there in January. And so it's been a uh, it's been a long process, as you know, with everyone this year has been kind of topsy turvy and upside down. But the hiring process has taken, you know, usually more longer than it typically does. But um, my family's very excited for to have me back in Toledo full time, and my friends are as well. So it's a it's a great chance to go back to my hometown and engage in the same kind of community service that I do here, but do it full time in Toledo. It's about your academic pursuits at Capital. Where was the desire to be a journalist born? Didn't start at Capital. It started in the at the breakfast table in somewhere in the 2000s, uh, getting ready for school. So my parents would have the station I'm going to now, coincidentally, was the station I watched as a child. And the evening anchors, they might not like me telling this, but the evening anchors then are still there now. So it's a strong legacy station. So I'd watch Diane Larson and Lee Conklin, you know, I watched that that program though in the morning, even though they worked at night, but I would also watch Sports Center, RIP to Stuart Scott. And just watching Stuart Scott uh, every morning watching Sports Center was like, maybe this is something I can do. I don't know. And the a quick story watching Stuart Scott when I was working with uh, NBC in, in Houston, we had a, I had a game to cover in Jacksonville, Texas Jags. And I saw a story in my hotel room the night before the game. It was a story that Stuart was doing about an MMA fighter who had Down syndrome, or who was autistic rather. And Stuart was just coming off of chemo from his liver, uh, from liver cancer or pancreatic cancer rather. And I was watching the story and it was just the way he did the story. And I remember tweeting at Stuart Scott, like, hey, you know, amazing way of telling a story. And he tweeted back at me. So for me, it was super cool to kind of watch Stuart Scott as a kid and then have this really quick interaction with him as an adult in the exact same business in a top 10 market. So that kind of paired with, I think I want to do this. And then we started to do um, kind of like closed circuit TV announcements at my high school, where you just kind of like do this, read this paper and kind of go. So that's where it started, man. And then when I got the cap, I did some interning at WBNS in Columbus as well. So I thought it was something that I could be good at, but I don't think I knew my potential at Capital. I think that came much uh, much later down the road. Talk about some of the places that you interned at or even have stopped at along the way. So I interned again at WBNS in Columbus uh, back when ONN was a thing. So I used to work with uh, Dom Tiberi and, and Dan Franzak. Thank you for that letter of recommendation, Dan. I have not forgotten about that. That and I did I did that so I covered like the crew and Ohio State stuff because it had to be in the summer but before our football started and then also in graduate school I interned at WKBN in Youngstown so I was doing that I've done sideline reporting for Fox uh, I had a sport I filled in on a sports show for WOIO in Cleveland while I was also in grad school oh man and then of course I did radio at Capitol. <laughs> Did Radio Capital with um, Matt Waddell. Matt Waddell brought he brought me in to do color, so we did, we did that for like two seasons. So I've kind of been in the broadcast game for quite a bit now. Well, and you also started, from my understanding, in sports journalism, or at least you had a heavy hand in sports journalism, and then you transitioned into what we'll call news news or sure. normal. 
So talk about why make that transition and maybe what some of the biggest differences are uh, between sports and just general news. I think a lot of people think that when you work in sports as a sports anchor, especially in the major market like Houston was like, oh, man, you got the life. I'm like, no, I travel every week. I legit travel every week. And as much as I love, you know, being at, you know, NBA playoff games or the NFL draft or the World Series, so on and so forth, I think the work-life balance wasn't working for me. So I was essentially paying rent to go to sleep. So, I, you know, the times I get off the road after four days, be home for 36 hours, I got to go to the next thing because Houston covers everything. So I knew if I wanted to stay in this business, and I got out the business, I, if I wanted to stay in news or get back into news, it couldn't be in sports anymore because I kind of got burnt out. So I knew that um, morning news is typically the transition that a lot of sports guys make. I knew how to be a sports anchor. I, I don't know. I didn't know anything about news being a news anchor. So it took, it took probably the first six months of me being in Grand Rapids to kind of get it. And um, long or short, I got we had a lot of offers from all over the country. But the feel I got with the team that I had in Grand Rapids two years ago made me kind of realize, all right, this is what we want to do. But the biggest difference, man, is that obviously the, the there's, I don't have to travel anymore. <laughs> you got to stay here. You stay on that desk. But being a news anchor in the morning is that I get up well before everyone else does. So I go to bed incredibly, like in the summer, it's awful. I go to bed when the sun's up. And so you got the blackout curtains, the eye mask and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I would say that's the biggest difference is getting adjusted to the schedule. I learned the hard way when I first moved here, trying to watch Sunday night football and then trying to get up at 2.30 in the morning. Don't recommend doing that. It <laughs> doesn't seem like that's a great idea or it works very well. Not at all. All right, we're talking with James Starks, class of 2008, two-time All-American for Capital Football. And so let's take it back to the origins of the story a little bit. Before getting yeah. to Capital, where did you come from? What was your hometown? And, and, you know, just talk about that place. Toledo, Ohio, the glass city. Uh, you know, it's a place that uh, is known for its high school football you know, at least in the northwestern portion of the state, you know, I know the folks in the south or the northeast, I could talk about all those guys over there, but we, we do some pretty good football too. Um, I grew up in uh, in the old West End neighborhood. It's uh, an impoverished neighborhood. My parents worked for Detroit Edison and UPS their entire lives. And I went to St. Francis de Sales High School, won a uh, state title in 2001. We beat Bishop Watterson back then. We played against some some really good football teams. We won that title in 01. We lost in the state semifinals in 2002 to Dayton Chaminade. That's a team that had Javon Ringer on the team, who played extensively in the NFL um, and went to Michigan State as well. But yeah, I mean that's where I'm from. It's it's a it's a blue collar city that's still kind of large, but still small comparatively speaking to the other large cities in Ohio. But it's a it's a it's a you work for what you get type of place and I think a lot of my work ethic came from St. Francis because I, I played under Dick Cromwell who was a legendary coach in Ohio's football and I can't say all the stories that Cromwell told us and things he said on this podcast but he made I talked to him actually yesterday he made me a tough kid because I was undersized at the time and you know he, he told me you got to figure out where you fit in and how you're going to fit in because it's not just going to come to you you got to figure it out so Toledo uh, breeds tough people, like it or not. So you were a football player. That's how we know you here at Capital. But I have this feeling that you played a few more sports growing up. What, what is your athletic background beyond football? 
I was a baseball player who got good at football. I am not, <laughs> that's the honest, honest way I can put it. I started playing baseball at five. So I started with the inner city youth team. And then once the team got bigger, we ended up putting out three or four or five professional athletes that people don't talk about or know that this little urban baseball team put out professional athletes years down the road. Ryan Robinson went to Toledo Central Catholic, played in Miami with Ben Roethlisberger, played for the Carolina Panthers. Kent Smith went to start, went to Central Michigan, played with the Raiders for quite a bit, and then myself. So we we had we had a, we had a nice little uh, youth squad, but you know I was a baseball player. We would go and play all the travel teams with who had you know more resources, more money, and we would beat we would beat them bad. So uh, unfortunately, the the elementary school I went to didn't have a, a, a football team, so I played travel baseball. But I also played soccer, so I played. That's how I got that's how I got good with my feet before I played football. I didn't play football until I was almost 15 years old. So um, yeah, I got to St. Francis, and because I hadn't been using my hands, I didn't know how to catch. So, <laughs> I've been using my feet for so long, so it took a while because I was playing offense for quite a while. So uh, my background is baseball, but we had to make a choice uh, sophomore, sophomore, junior year between I was still playing travel baseball, but also running track. So we had to make a choice in that part of the year, what, what are you going to do? And I had to give up. I chose to give up baseball, I should say, and run track and, and I play football in high school. And I ran track at Capitol for a couple of seasons. A couple of seasons, I had some surgeries. So I've kind of done everything. We, we don't talk about basketball. We'll, we'll stick to what I, I know I'm good at or was good at. I was going to say, I, I think that I saw on Facebook, uh, there was a clip there of you in the gym. And uh, I can understand why you wouldn't want to talk. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned that football kind of came into your life at a later period. So, you know, with all these other options, when did you really begin to think that football was something that was going to be something serious in your life or significant even beyond high school? I think, uh, I know we had some division one offers, but I can tell you, I graduated high school at five, five, one fifty. I was a tiny person. And so we had division one offers and they would come to the games, but I think they're expecting me to grow. I just didn't grow when they wanted me to. So the offers got pulled and coach Stepsis visited St. Francis and he recruited two of my teammates. And I was like, yeah, I'll go. But like, I had no intention of staying. I planned on leaving and transferring after freshman year. And uh, the, the camaraderie that I built with those guys, that fresh, that freshman class, I decided to stay. And lo and behold, I came back home in the summer and I grew six inches and put on like 30 pounds. And then people thought I was a transfer student. They're like, who is this guy? And I'm, and I'm like, it's just me, y'all. It's just me. So I grew half a foot in the summer. And then I think with the, the body starting to kind of figure things out spatially, and, you know, we had our first workout with the pro team after, after my freshman, after my sophomore year, the, the, or the, the Vikings came just to talk. And I'm sitting there like, what do you, why don't you talk to me? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And then as things started to progress, junior year, or I'm starting to realize that I'm one of the better players in the country, I'm thinking like, maybe this might work out. And then you have another pro workout and then it becomes more pro workouts in that same, in that next off season. And then I thought, well, well, we'll try to ride this train as long as we can. That's amazing. Now, when you were looking at colleges, 
you mentioned that you had D1 offers on the table. You know, what were you looking for? And, and inevitably, what led you to capital? What sealed the deal, too? I think it was the coaching staff for sure. Coach Stepsis was, I want to say, like 27, 28, 29 years old, maybe. And Coach Step, I can relate to Coach Stepsis. Todd Stepsis was the defensive backs coach at the time. And I had a couple guys from high school who were coming with me. So I felt comfortable on the campus. My sister and her family already lived in Columbus. So I was already familiar with the city. Um, after the, those D1 offers kind of fell to the wayside, you know, I didn't really want to go to Tiffin, you know, to go to the city of Tiffin, you know, where Heidelberg and, and Norton, go to Ada where Northern's at, kind of like it's in the middle of nowhere. And that's no knock on them, but I was already familiar with Columbus. So being on campus, the CAP Center was pretty new at the time. And just the facilities kind of drew me in. And I think Coach Step, you know, spoke some words of, of, uh, of courage to me. And I, I'll tell you, the first camp that we had, you know, we had to go to the MDR. I don't know if that still exists anymore, but the MDR. <laughs> James Harrison was the, was the starting cornerback there. And I remember that first week of practice, he pulled everybody aside. He was like, you see him right here? He's going to be an All-American before he leaves. And I'm 17 years old. I don't know what you're talking about. But he was talking about me, and he people saw stuff in me that I didn't see yet. And so I think all of that kind of came together where all these other people believed in me. So it's on me to kind of believe in myself at that time. Where, what was the moment in which you got to Capitol and then you realized that this was the right decision? I made the right call. Do you recall that moment? In academics or just in general? In general. Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman. Uh, <laughs> so Matt is one of my best friends, but uh, I think it was just a bond that I had with guys like Matt, John Spring, um, just guys in that freshman year class where we were – a lot of us were on scout team and, you know, you either, you either you swim or you, or you drown. Right. And it's hard as a freshman to know that you're not going to play a lot. And so if this isn't for you and you don't have the patience to stick this out, then you don't go do something else. And there's attrition, right? Every year there's attrition, people leave. And so the bond that I had with those, with those, uh, those guys that freshman year, Maddie and I never talked that freshman season, but we both, bonded over uh, a trip to the doctor's office in the uh, off season. He had a bum knee and I had a bad back. And uh, yeah, it was, it, we were, I can't tell the story on here, but we had a, we had a, an interesting uh, dialogue with the doctor there. And honestly, he and I have been best friends since that day. Amazing. We're talking with James Starks, two times All-American class of 2008, uh, member of Keppel football team that was highly successful. And let's kind of go with that. Dive deeper into the jock talk, if you will. You know, you were defensive back at Capitol and one of the best in the country, hence three-time first team All-OAC, All-Region pick, two-time All-American. Your trophy case is full, my man. Uh, <laughs> You started and saw a significant time as a sophomore, made three picks that year to team up with 32 tackles in a sack. Can you talk about what it was like to make such an impact so early in your career and what that meant to the team's development as well? Well, I dropped two picks that year. One of them was against Otterbein. We lost that game. So I don't, you don't forget the things you did wrong. Um, 
I think that sophomore year was was new for everyone because we knew we had a lot of talent going into that season. I believe we were seven and three the year before that. And, you know, Rocky's healthy. The defense has a bunch of seniors on it for the most part. Our team had it was mostly a senior, junior, senior team. And then only a couple sophomores were playing. Uh, a couple Adam Persing on the offensive line. Matt Coleman was one of our, he was on, on the right side, I was on the left. And so I think for me, Coach Beckel was our D coordinator at the time. I think him knowing that you've got a few guys that you're going to have for a few years, it's going to allow you to do a lot of different things. And you don't have to worry about, you know, who's next or what happens here, what happens there. And so they showed a lot of trust in me, for one, just to, to put me in that position early on, because I know Matt won't like this part of the story, but I knew I was starting after freshman season. Uh, Coach Stepp said, it's you, and we got to figure out another corner. So I had to figure it out very quickly. And, you know, going up against some of the talent we had on the other side of the ball, including Lewis Howes, you know, we had some guys who were going to make you better. And um, just having that faith, especially in that from those guys who were seniors, you know, they got the guys who are rushing the past have to trust the folks who are behind them. And you've got this now 18, 19 year old kid who just started playing football five years ago. So they, they had a whole lot of trust in me. I think that helped out my confidence a lot. That was also a year in which you began a string of three consecutive years that the Crusaders made the NCAA playoffs. And in that year, went to the third round of the tournament. What do you remember most about that impactful year and that NCAA tournament run? I remember the most about the years that I blew my knee out uh, in, a, in a game I probably shouldn't have been playing in. I tore my MCL catching a ball out of bounds with three weeks left to go in the season in the last game in week 10 against Wilmington, just blocking on a, uh, on a punt return in my ACL tour. So I was out, which you can imagine how upset <laughs> all the coaches were and my parents for me playing that game. But I think what I remember most, because it was a big deal at the time, because we were all healthy until I wasn't healthy. And going into the playoffs with no one who's played in the playoffs, you know, experience means something. So what I remember most is that our team really showed its depth that when that happened, right? So a lot of the attention went towards me when the ball's in the air, and I was also very key in run support. But after I got hurt, uh, Matt Coleman stepped up like you wouldn't believe, you know, because he now you're thrust in that in this action, right? And Marcus McDonough, who, who came in to be my backup, he also showed up. And I think what sticks out to me was the the game against Wabash on the road. Matt played out of his mind. You know, uh, he didn't always get as many reps as I'm sure any corner will tell you that they would like, but they threw at him. They threw at him all day long, and he showed up. And so I think that, that was the biggest part to see my teammates, especially the guys on defense, rally around each other, show our depth, and then get two pretty big wins on the road because we went to North Central as well. And I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you what I got while I'm on crutches and tell you what I see. And um, that was another year where we probably should have beaten Mountain Union, lost by three in that, uh, in that regional final game. So I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that despite me getting hurt, at the worst possible time, my teammates were resilient and, and showed a whole lot of heart. It's incredible that the memories are so vivid for you. And I think that most that remember that time period also remember that your defenses 
were just amazing. I mean, they averaged allowing just 13, less than 14 points a game in each of those three seasons. Uh, incredible. So how do you describe those defenses, their style, and, and how they played over that span of time? I think those are some of the best defenses I've ever played on. Uh, we took it. We took it personally. If you scored, we we hated it. We don't want you to have three points. So we took it personally, and we had one heck of a pass rush. Uh, you know, guys like Marty O'Malley, Matt Evans, John Spring, Joel Sigmeyer in the middle, Sam Abdullah. Like we, Bart Sparhawk on the other side playing uh, playing Will, our Will linebacker spot, and then we had the Hauslers. Like we got two more All Americans in the same <laughs> secondary. So between the Hauslers and their ball hawking ability, and then the guys we got in the front seven, like it, you had, if you scored on us, either it was a mental error on our part or you earned it. So we took great pride because you can't, they can't beat you if they can't score. And so uh, we also tried to score on defense a lot and we did. So that was, we took all that stuff personally and uh, we took pride in the way we played defense. We're knocking them out and we'll take the ball from you. Now, over the course of your career, you accumulated 12 interceptions, defended 27 passes, 128 tackles. Tell us about your style, ball hawk, hard hitter. You know, how would you have described yourself or scouted yourself? Well, I, I think I was a little bit of a hybrid of both. I you know I was a, I was a two mile horn, I was a four two seven forty guy, hand time, so I could move, but I also love to hit. So you kind of had to pick your poison. If you throw it underneath, you're gonna get smacked. And if you try to throw it deep you're not going to catch the ball. So I think for me, um, you know, I, I tried to, I took a lot of what the Housers were doing. Kyle was typically known. Uh, I mean, Kyle was a freshman All-American, so Kyle knew what he was doing back there, right? So Kyle knew how to to high point the ball, you know, where is he looking? Was the quarterback looking? Where's his elbows and his shoulders pointing? I picked that stuff up from Kyle. And then Tom would, would knock your head off. So I tried to kind of play with a little bit of both of them. And then put my own little, I put a little bit of swag in it. So you, you on the sideline, you heard, you probably heard me talking to you one way or another. So the trash talk was not, uh, was not missed by anybody. But if you scouting myself, I don't know how, I don't know what you do. <laughs> That's not arrogance. I don't know what you do because after a while we stopped getting opportunities. So teams weren't throwing the ball over there anymore. And the, the mindset was if they do want to throw it over there, you make them pay for it. So either you take it from them or you, you dislodge that football. What do you think you would have given yourself for a Madden rating? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's a great question. <laughs> okay. Let's say uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to say I'll be like a 92. The hands might be down in the 60s, though, because I did drop like four picks over those three years. And so we said the hands down, the, the hands going to be in the 60s or the 70s. But the speed got to be a 98. Put me back there and turn some kicks if you want to. All right. I'm picking you for my franchise. <laughs> <laughs> now those teams that you were a part of i mean you accumulated almost 30 wins um it's a lot to choose from but do any stand out among the rest i think that junior year team in 2006 uh that we had senior year rocky pantello if i believe right i can't remember i want to say we had rock that year but we were all loaded we were loaded on both sides of the ball um just Again, ran it. We had we had you know home field going into the playoffs. I want to say that might have been our best defensive year, statistically. And you know we had the Housers too. We had we had one of them, C.J. Steele, who was playing a lot too. We were loaded, and you know we got those home playoff games, and we blew Wittenberg and North Central out. So it was it kind of was 
especially that North Central game where it was close the year before in the playoffs, and this was a game where there was no question. The game was over in the first quarter. There's also a game that I remember is that, again, going up to Alliance, Ohio, and, you know, we had all four seasons of the in one, in one game. You know, it was sunny, it rained, it snowed, then it kind of overcast like, all at the same time. And that was a game I thought we we should we should have won. Um, and there are some things I, I don't like about that game. I've watched it a few times still. And, you know, those things kind of stick in your craw a little bit. The stuff that didn't go right, you still, you know, remember. But that 2016 was absolutely loaded. I think that I think that team's the best team in the country. Very good. We're talking with James Starks, class of 2008, two-time All-American to just top off the list of accolades that he's accumulated over the course of his lifetime. So life after football now, James, mm-hmm. it's not normal that a D3 player makes a move to the NFL, but you did. Um, tell us, you know, you, uh, tell us about making that decision to make a serious run at an NFL career. Well, we knew um, going into senior year that professional scouts had been to some games. Uh, there were a lot of them were watching Pierre Garçon over at Mount Union, who became, I think he was a sixth round draft pick. But they were, they were interested, you know, watching things and so forth. And we knew they'd be there. But um, I think after they saw that senior year game where Mount came to Baxley and Pierre got shut down again. I mean, that's, that's just what it is. Uh, he's a, he's a, hell of a heck of a talent. And, um, but at the end of the day, I knew it. I would always say nine times out of 10, I'm going to win that battle. And I did. And so... I think that's what it was. And as we got towards the end of the season, there was a lot of talk, you know, between Jim Collins and Coach Stafford and Coach Bickle about what the possibilities could be, conversation they'd already had with scouts in that area. And so we made the choice to get a personal trainer. And I worked out up in a place up in Dublin during my second semester of school. And, you know, I also worked with, uh, with Butch Reynolds. He was you were from Ohio State, so to get my 40 down for my pro day. And that's when things became starting to get kind of real, where it's like, look, you can't be partying all the time, despite, even though I did. You can't be partying all the time because you, you still got you got this training that you have to do three days a week, and you also got schoolwork and all this other stuff. So that's when I started to realize things that were real, and I think the biggest realization would be that Ohio State pro day snowed. It was in March. And my parents had a hard time getting down there, but uh, you're at Ohio State and you're there. All 32 teams are represented there. That was the year uh, Vernon Goldstein was there. I'm just sitting here like, who are all these gigantic people? And it's just me. And that was the day that um, Coach Lewis introduced himself to me right before the uh, weigh-in. Some guy hit me on the shoulder, I'm tying my shoe. I'm trying, I'm in the zone. It's like, I'm like, get off me, man. I look up I'm like, oh. It's Marvin Lewis. And he goes, good morning, James. So he knew my name and I didn't know that he knew me. So, you know, it was, that's when things are like, oh, this is, this is a real deal now. So the Ohio State Pro Day was one of my, I didn't have a good workout, but I didn't have a bad workout. Well, and you mentioned a name that kind of became, you know, something of a big deal for you in the coming weeks after that. Talk, talk us through, you know, going through the workout um, and then signing a contract with the Cincinnati Bengals and what that was like. Yeah, actually, <clears throat> I had a second uh, pro day. I went to Mount Union, actually, for the second one. And 
I, that was a better workout than the Ohio State one. And, you know, we want, kind of want to improve our stock a little bit. But we knew there was some interest from teams like the Giants, Steelers, the Vikings, kind of those regional teams were interested in, in me in some capacity. And we thought the Giants, we had an inter- interview with the Giants at Capitol, and it seemed like that was the route they were going to go. Lo and behold, draft day comes around, and they took like four defensive backs. <laughs> so it was a stressful weekend. That's back when the draft was three days long, and we knew we'd be a um, – a day three guy. So you kind of just drive around trying to kill time, but time moves so slowly and you can only go to the mall so many times. And, um, you know, we went to the end of the day, no phone call from my agent, nothing. And so we kind of thought it was a lost cause. And then the Monday came nothing. So we figured like the window's about shut. And then around six 30 on that Tuesday morning, I get to see my phone, you know, open my flip phone up. And we see a 513 number, and I'm like, this is weird. And it was Jim Lippincott from the Cincinnati Bengals. And he asked me what I was doing. I was like, nothing, <laughs> let's go. So he asked me if I wanted to come to camp. And um, we got the contract signed, uh, I must say, the day after that. Now, that had to have been an incredibly exciting moment for you. Are there any big takeaways beyond the contract signing from the whole workout, being amongst the team? What do you take away most from that? I take the first thing I noticed when I got to Paul Brown was that uh, I was driving a 2000 Taurus and I see all these luxury cars in here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, am I in the right place? But um, it was was surreal. You walk in there, you know, Carson Palmer's and – is working out in the weight room and you just see the inner workings of a franchise happening before your eyes. And, you know, that draft class, the first round pick was Ray Maluga out of USC. And you just see these other guys here. And I'm looking around, like I'm one of the smallest people here, man. This is, this is different. And so I think once I got there and you see, you, you see a locker with your name on it, with all the gear, the logo, all the stuff there. And you're like, I, I haven't made, I always have made it, but like, this ain't capital anymore. <laughs> this is, this is the real deal. So it was a, um, it was an experience to say the least. I remember the, the playbook was like two phone books deep and uh, gosh, I cannot remember the, the defensive quote. It was Mike Zimmer. Yes. Yeah, the coach, he used to be the coach of the, uh, of the Vikings if he's still there, but um, he was a defensive coordinator and he was like, can you memorize this? I'm like, yeah. I sure can. I can. Whatever. Give me some more. I'll, I'll memorize whatever you want because you know you're going to be the first person to go because you're an undrafted free agent. So you're the cheapest one there, and you're going to be the first. So I did last hire, first fire type of deal. Very good. Now, obviously, that dream ended a little bit prematurely, and then you began yeah. working the next dream can you kind of take us through that moment and then maybe the moments after that where you picked yourself up, dusted yourself off, and began on the next adventure. Yeah, I broke my foot and backpedaling, non-contact. And it's one of those things where you got guys like, I won't mention them, I'll do that, who I know are not better than me or faster than me. And they're running by me and I'm sitting here trying to like run and it's just not working. There's nothing you can do. And I got sent to the trainer and I'm trying to do everything. I'm like, I'm trying to put tape on my foot and come to find out that I have incredibly flat feet. I should have been wearing insoles. I've never worn insoles. And so this was just a, uh, just being genetically predisposed to breaking your feet. 
and got an x-ray, which I was trying to avoid because I knew something was wrong. And my foot was pretty much broken almost in half. And it was tough. Uh, you know, you're sitting in that training room and you're getting the news, but you kind of like, like the movies, it kind of just it becomes white noise because you know you're about to go home. And I went back outside into the locker room and you see that red tag in your locker and it sucks. That's the best way. It's a, it's a sinking feeling. And I know people who've been cut before and they take their gear with them, like their, you know, their team issue gear. I didn't want it. I didn't want anything. I was so, uh, I was super down. I remember getting in the car and called my dad. I bawled. I absolutely bawled because I felt like I let a lot of people down because a lot of people had, you know, invested in me, believed in me. And this is something that, albeit now, you think about it out of my control, but I felt like I let a lot of folks down that day by having to come home because of something silly as a broken foot. So it was tough. I was, I was, I was down for quite a while. And then um, the fast forwarding part is that luckily a couple of teammates from Capitol were going overseas to play football. And they said, we need a wide receiver or a cornerback. Do you want to go? Sure. So we got a, <laughs> I got a free trip to Italy, basically, to go play football with Rocky Pentello and Adam Persing. And so that's after a season of that, I realized I didn't, I didn't want to play anymore. Just too many injuries. I wanted to be able to walk with my kids. And then also, you know, head injuries are real. So I decided before I left for Italy to take the GRE and I got into grad school while I was in Italy. And that's when I went back to school to get my master's. All right. We're talking with James Starks, uh, class of 2008, two-time All-American in this incredible journey that you've painted the picture for us. And, you know, now we want to just kind of talk about, uh, well, we want to put you on the hot seat, James, actually. All right. Let's let's go through some rapid fire questions that are also going to kind of dig into the feels of capital. So to <laughs> I'll throw you a softball first. Who are your favorite sports teams? New York Yankees, Dallas Mavericks, uh, Denver Broncos, Manchester United. And I know I'm missing something. I don't know. Oh, I'm a more of a Detroit Red Wings kind of guy, too. All right. Very good. How about favorite athlete of all time? That's impossible to answer. Just pick one. <laughs> Yeesh, I got oh, you can let you give me a top three if that'll help. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you got to start with primetime. Deion Sanders is one. Uh, Pre-steroid Barry Bonds, Pittsburgh Pirates Barry Bonds was two, and Ken Griffey Jr. I'm all in on two of your three. So Don't, don't forget about Kobe. R.I.P. Right, oh, very good. How about favorite sports movie? Wow, that's a tough one too, isn't it? Uh, favorite sports movie. I don't even know if I have a favorite sports movie. I think at, at this stage, uh, the only sports movie I've, I've watched is, is the uh, the documentaries from our junior and senior year. Oh man, I don't, I don't. Field of Dreams is always a classic one. Um, yeah, man, I don't even know if I have a favorite sports movie. I don't even think I do. Space Jam, I'm going with Space Jam. Why not? Yeah, that's a classic too. There you go. Uh, favorite music artists. Oh man, I've got a Prince tattoo on this arm. Uh, I'm all over the place. So between Prince and Jay-Z, Kanye, I've got a Kanye tattoo on this arm. So I've got, this is my musical arm. Um, I'm all over the place between him, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Red Hot Chili Peppers. You pick it, I like it. All right. What was your favorite pregame meal? 
Matt Coleman and I, we would go to the church down the street on Livingston. We'd say a prayer, but then we also go to McDonald's for breakfast. So not the healthiest thing to eat before a game, but we would, we would definitely get our McMuffins before, uh, before every game. Now the prayers work then, I guess. But how about after the game? What'd you, what'd you munch down on? <laughs> Beer, probably. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, whatever, whatever was around. My parents ran the tailgate, so I usually tried to stop and get a hot dog or something like that from them. All right. When you came to Columbus, I know that you're from Toledo, so you kind of get the big city feel to an extent. But what was the biggest shock about moving to Columbus and embedding yourself there? I think the, just how far away Ohio State's campus was. And for some reason, I thought it was just like smack dab in the middle, but it's like almost northern Columbus or whatever. So and I had no idea that Bexley was in the middle of the city and how far it takes to get to everything. That drive on 270 has never been fun. So I think just how spread out Columbus kind of is will be the biggest shock to me. What do you think about Columbus or Bexley that you enjoyed the most? The support we had in Bexley was amazing. You know, everyone likes a winner, but even freshman year, we had tons of people. But I think once we started rattling off tons of wins, started that sophomore year in 2005, you saw our games were standing room only, and then it only became more standing room only. So the, the, the people in Baxley were amazing in terms of supporting that, that football program throughout my four years there. Teammate that you missed the most? Uh, I guess it's Maddie, I guess. But like, I talked to Maddie like twice a week, so like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get to see him <laughs> as much as I like to, you know. But probably Maddie. Um, yeah, I would go with Maddie. He'll be, he'd be mad if I pick somebody else, probably. <laughs> now, teammate that for better or for worse, you'll never be able to forget and why, if it's a I, I got to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I won't forget that time Sam Abdullah pregame headbutted someone while not wearing a helmet. So Sam split his face open before a game. It looked cool because his face was bleeding before the game. But um, between, I mean, Sam, Sam Abdullah, Don Spring, uh, Zach McKenzie in his short shorts, Rocky being Rocky, you know, we had a, we had a cast of characters on those teams. There feels like there's an ESPN 30 for 30 embedded in there somewhere. <laughs> it absolutely is. How about favorite class you took at Capitol? Probably weightlifting with Coach Bickle. Because Coach Bickle let me get my workouts in. And um, I took an athletic training course with uh, Robert Thorne and Benji Peaster as well. So as someone who continued to be involved in athletics and competitive CrossFit, just being able to take care of myself from the stuff that I learned from them, definitely is a paid dividends. How about your least favorite class? Humanities. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation there. Humanities, couldn't do it, couldn't do it, man. Uh, how about your favorite place on Capitol's campus? Does that include like the Bexley area that's outside of campus too? How about let's stick on campus this time? 834 College Avenue, that's where we lived. So that's the, that was the best place for me. <laughs> Our house on, uh, on College Avenue was, was one of my favorite places to ever have lived. How about off campus since you were going there anyway? Oh man. Well, if you go to, if you stayed right in the Bexley area, made a lot of trips to Moe's. I know that for sure. A lot of trips to Moe's and uh, getting some pizza down the street. That was, yeah. And that the occasional trip to Ohio State, I'd say. And last but not least, if you were going to give a piece of advice to a current or future crusader, what would it be? To listen, you don't know everything. And no matter how good you think you are, 
it's still good to listen to people who've been there before and take constructive criticism as a way to get better and not to take it personally. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much, James, for joining us on this edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. We've been talking with James Starks, class of 2008 Capital Football, two-time All-American amongst a host of other accolades. Once again, a fantastic story, and thanks so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll continue forward on this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Thanks to our guest today, Dixie Jeffers, head softball coach Andrea Nagy, football All-American James Starks, and coach Lila Pettibone and senior Gabriella Angolia of Cap Cheer. If you would like to listen to any of our past episodes, go to our website or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. We're switching up the schedule and bringing you one last episode to close out 2020. Consider it an early Christmas gift. That episode will air next Tuesday, December 15th, where we commit the entire show to introduce and get to know our new head football coach. Thought I'd slip up and spoil it, didn't you? You'll find out soon enough. For that announcement and up-to-the-minute information regarding Cap Athletics and its teams, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Wash your hands, maintain your distance, keep your group small, and wear your mask. Until next time, Cap fam, let's keep moving forward. I'm Ryan Gasser. Be safe, everyone.